Good morning, Trinity family. How are we doing all? Thank you for that response. It's kind of a rhetorical question and a response is still good. Good morning, good morning. Well, uh, you know, I was thinking about our time this morning. I was actually thinking about the fact that this might be a surprise to you, but uh, I was one that never really liked going to school when I was in my, uh, you know, elementary high school years. School and I just never really got along that well. And I was trying to figure out why this is the case or why this was the case. Could have been the fact that it was just the format and, and, you know, I'm more of an active person when it comes to, you know, physical learning. And I realize I'm more of a visual learner and all there wasn't a lot of that happening in those days. It could have also been the fact that I saw kind of one of my primary roles as being the class clown, uh, maybe sometimes the jokester and the prankster, things like that. Uh, I actually remember Miss Torpy's typing class. Miss Torpy, one of my favorite teachers, she was about five feet tall, uh, and it was a typing class. Now, for those of you that are wondering what is a typewriter, Uh, I've got an image up here on the screen that will show you exactly what a typewriter is. This is a typewriter, okay? Uh, So this is the way that we got words on paper before there was computers and printers, okay? And and you didn't want to handwrite something. We've got a little closer version of a typewriter here. Uh, This is what a typewriter looked like. You would type on the keys, and those keys would actually hit what's called a type bar, and that type bar would then swing forward. On that type bar right here, this is where the letters and all the symbols and the things you needed were at. Uh, that type bar would then, if we go to the next image, uh, it would actually go up on the paper. It would go through this ink right here. You can see this ribbon that is a ribbon full of ink. And then on the paper, that's how we got words on uh, our paper at this point in time. Uh, and again, we have a little close-up version of a ribbon, a, a typewriter ribbon. This is a typewriter ribbon right here. There was ink wrapped around that ribbon. And of course, you, you saw where it, where it went. Now, this next image right here, uh, this is actually caps from a toy cap gun. So if we put, put them side by side, we've got, we've got typewriter ribbon and, and caps from a toy cap gun. And I have not confessed, I, I've not always used my, my street smarts for good, okay, my problem-solving skills. But I thought to myself, these should come together, right? And so, um, and so here's what I did. I kind of concocted a plan. I was able to get into the school late one evening and got into Miss Torpy's typing class. There was probably about 15 of us that were going to be there the next morning. Uh, and I picked a, a gal by the name of Janie Haas. Uh, Janie, I, if you're watching today, I am sorry. I deeply apologize about this. Janie was a little bit more of an introvert, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to bring her out of her shell. Uh, and so uh, I decided then to take those caps, I tied a a bunch of them together, and then I replaced the ribbon on her typewriter with these caps, right, wrapped them around, uh, was able to put them back in the typewriter, put the cover back on, went home and, and came to typing class the next morning just all giddy and ready to go. Uh, And so my plan began to unfold. Janie sat down at her typewriter. We were all in the same space. She starts typing. And at first, it it didn't actually do anything. It was just kind of plop, plop, plop. And then uh, it started. The the caps lined up really, really well with with the the type bar. And all of a sudden, it was like snap, snap, snap. And little, you know, little sparks and little smoke kind of rolled out. This is going to be great. And so she's terrified at this moment, trying to figure out what she's done to her typewriter. She hits a few more keys. Pop, 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 pop. So she finally stops 
calls Miss Torpy over. Miss Torpy comes over, and of course, the first thing she does is start typing on the typewriter. Pop, 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 pop. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it, it was a proud moment for young Dave, uh, up until she decided to keep all of the class uh, afterwards and kind of get us all in a, in, a, in a ring until someone confessed. Uh, and, you know, I got to be honest, Ms. Torpy, if you are watching today, I finally confessed, better late than never, it was me. I did it. We sat in that room for quite some time. I think she knew, but I never admitted it. Uh, and so one of the reasons I never really liked school is because uh, also we would have tests from time to time. I was too busy doing things like this, and I, I didn't always know the answers to those tests. Uh, among the different types of tests, I could, I could scoop by on kind of a multiple choice test. I could figure it out. But what I hated the most uh, were the, the essay question tests, and specifically the essay questions that maybe they had two questions, and the test, it kind of represented 70% of your entire grade right? And so it didn't matter how much I endured that entire year of class. If I got one or two of those wrong, I was going to fail that class. And I remember thinking, I will be so glad when I graduate because I will never have to answer another question again, right? Uh, and that is not working out very well for me, in case you're wondering. Uh, you know, as a, as a parent, I learned that the questions actually come faster and they're, they're more difficult. Uh, things like, hey, you know, dad, why didn't they invite me? Why, why uh, you know, why are they angry at me? Why were they mean to me? Why, why is that guy standing on a street corner holding that sign asking for money? Why can't we put metal in a microwave? Like, I, I don't know, son. Like, um, you know, do, dad, do, do dogs go to heaven? Do cats go to heaven or more modern day? What about a robot with a human brain? Like, do they go to heaven? Like, the questions just became more and more, uh, and they, they just typically become harder and harder. But uh, in my 46 years of existence and processing all the questions that I've had to contend with, uh, I would submit this morning that there are really two questions that I would call the most important questions of all. And I would also say how you answer question number one will determine how you answer question number two. And the questions are this that you and I need to ask ourselves. Number one, who is God? And secondly, who am I? Who is God and who am I? And we'll begin to, to unpack and answer some of these questions in our time today. And if you're wondering, is there a correct answer to these questions? I would submit that there absolutely is. So if you stick with me this morning, we will eventually get there. Uh, let me bring us up to speed. If we've not yet met, my name is Dave Max. I'm one of the staff here at Trinity. And, uh, you know, I oversee some of the operations area and, and, and privilege of being one of the worship leaders on the teaching team. And we have actually been in a series called Exiles. We have been looking at the book of Titus. Titus is a letter written from Paul to uh, the minister Titus that was in partnership. And we're looking and in, in kind of combing through this letter and using the direction that Paul gives Titus to springboard into the topics that we have been dealing with uh, each weekend. We're actually kind of in a, in a subsection of Titus where we have been looking at doctrine of the church. What do we believe? Uh, we've been looking at what do we believe about false teaching, about creation, about the fall, about what, what do we believe about sin? Uh, last week, Micah uh, really unpacked just this scandalous idea of God's grace and what redemption looks like. It's more than just a, a forgiving of sin. There's a complete renewal that God does for you and I in the redemption that we have uh, in Christ. In fact, if you've missed a previous week, you can go to wearetrinity.tv, and that's where you'll find all the archives of, uh, of the previous teachings that we have here on a weekend. 
So I want to make sure that we understand this first with where we're going. Here's the big idea of where we will end up uh, making sure that we, we hold in our hands today. And it is this. God is Jesus, and Jesus is both Messiah and Savior of all those who believe. So from a doctrinal standpoint, we would say that God is Jesus. Jesus is both Messiah and he is Savior of all those who believe. We will find ourselves beginning in Titus chapter 3. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 7. But I want to invite you to pray with me uh, as we begin our time this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, I just uh, choose to take a breath right now and we, we just acknowledge your presence in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, I just know that if you don't show up, if you don't do what only you can do, then, then we are powerless. And we just thank you that, that as we've worshipped you in our giving and in song and, in, and even gathering in relationship in this place this morning, we recognize your presence. Would you make us more aware of your presence in these moments. And so God, I ask that you would show us what you would have to uh, us to hear this morning through your word. Pray that you would, uh, you would allow the things that are just of my flesh just to be forgotten, but what you're speaking to our hearts, Holy Spirit, would you confirm, would you convict, would you empower to repent, and would you make us new? In your name, amen. So we pick up in Titus chapter three, beginning with verse 4, and we will go down on to verse 7. And let me begin to read this for us. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, there is a rich amount of depth in this scripture, and we could spend all day, I would love to try that sometime, but not today, uh, unpacking all of the things that, that uh, are just the richness of this text. We're going to zero in on a few things here this morning, and namely, we're going to come back to our two questions that I think we begin to uncover the answers to uh, in this text this morning. Question number one is, who is God? Who is God? Is God dead? Is God just a figment of, of a spiritual imagination? Is God just the, the crutch we need when times are bad? Is God just a, a genie in the sky? Is he just an idea or is he, is he real? Is he creator? Is he just distant waiting for me to mess up? And I will say that as we begin this morning from a, from a doctrinal or orthodox, which simply means right belief, we would say this, that we believe the truth as revealed to us from the Bible, we believe and we stand on that as foundation here this morning. And so uh, we, are, we are making the assumption here today that what we say, where we get our information is through the inerrant, the unfallible word of God this morning. Number two, God is so much 
that he cannot be fully described in just a single sentence. Now, that is important. I, I would posture as well that we will actually spend all of eternity uh, just beginning to discover the greatness and the glory of God. In fact, the scripture tells us that, that it is God's glory that's ever expanding. In other words, we will never get to a place in eternity where we have exhausted all there is to know about God. We are his creation and we will constantly be discovering more and more and more of his glory. But uh, because there's probably a pot roast cooking today for some of you, we will not spend eternity going through all these texts here this morning. We will, however, zero into what does Titus uh, chapter 3 say in answer to our question, our first question, who is God? And so first we see in Titus 3, looking at verse 4, we see these things that, that God, God is one who is in uh, the very first part, when God, the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, God is good, we see that God is loving, and we see that he is kind. Now I want to make kind of a caveat here. Oftentimes when we read descriptive things, it, it might be tempting to think that God does good things, which is true. Uh, or that God is simply a kind person. He does kind things, which is true. Or that God, God does love. Those things are true, but backing the card up just a little bit, even more true is the fact that, that if you were to say, Dave, what is good? Well, the definition of what is good is God. The definition of, of what is love is God. The definition of, of what is kind is God. And so it isn't that, that God in this text is just doing good things. It is that he is the very definition of what it means to be kind, to, to be good, to be, to be loving. And so these are out of his character and his nature. And then next we see, out of these things, God came. God, our Savior, appeared is what the text says. God initiates a relationship with his creation. It is God who is the initiator. It is, it is God who pursues us. It is God that you and I can actually know intimately, not from a distance, not, not from miles away, not from an intangible place, but you and I can know him intimately. And he pursues you and I. And the text says that he actually pursues us as Savior, that this salvation is poured out upon us by Jesus. And so we could say this, who is God? Well, he is Jesus, and Jesus reveals God to us. If you would like to know what God is like, simply just look at Jesus. And we have uh, the blessing of God's revelation of himself, which is the Bible. And we can see the picture of Jesus who reveals to us who God is. And as we look at this text back to Titus 3, uh, we see that this idea of, of the, the saving, Jesus being referred to as Savior, the Savior appeared uh, there's a couple of Greek words going on in there. Uh, one of them simply just means he's, he's the one who saves. And the verb form, which uh, we actually see in this text, is, is the verb form sozo, uh, which simply means to save or to make well. So in, in reference to Jesus as Savior, uh, we see this text telling us that God pursues us through Jesus to save us, to, to rescue, to, to make well. And hear this this morning. Our God does not pursue us for revenge. He doesn't pursue us because he's angry. Now, I just want to put a pin in here as I, as I make eye contact this morning. God is not mad at you. 
hear that. Our Savior does not pursue us to, to crush us and to just wipe us out. He's not a savior who pursues us because he wants to force us to to worship an almighty God who's sovereign, who we would have no control over our actions to. He doesn't pursue us because he wants to make you and I follow a a set of rules that would steal life. He's not after restitution or, or to shame us because look at the mess you've made. That's not our God. He's not yelling at you saying, hey, you owe me, so do what I want you to do. No, he pursues us as Savior. He runs after us. And the the first natural question in this as we kind of come to this context is, well, Savior from what? Savior from what? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's this word, sin. And this idea that we've fallen short of the glory of God, what does that mean? Well, Scripture, as we look at the the meta-narrative, the bigger story from Genesis to Revelation, we see this picture that, that our Creator created you and I in His image. He created us in such a way that when we would look at one another, we would think to ourselves, how beautiful and how amazing is their Creator that we would reflect the glory of God and thus thus reflect his glory, pointing one another in all creation to him. That is the glory of God that the Bible speaks of. We're created in his image to reflect his goodness, his greatness, his glory, his joy, all the attributes of him toward one another in all of creation. And yet, sin and the falling short of sin means that we we are short of the ability to reflect the glory of God in the way that he originally intended it to be. He intended you and I to be. Romans 6.23 would say, for the wages of that sin is deserving of death. If you work a job, you would expect to get a paycheck. Uh, You know, my second oldest son, Aaron, has started a job. He's been working for several months. And and if he had been working and then payday came uh, and then everyone else got a paycheck and he, well, where's my paycheck at? We just didn't feel like paying you today right? Uh, that just would not work very well. We, we expect that when we, we do something that is deserving of something, that is what we earn. And scripture says the sin that you and I commit, and we'll talk the deeper reference of that in just a moment, that that sin is justfully deserving of death, of separation from this pure and holy God. And you might say, what is sin? There's a lot of ways that we could define sin. I think one of the simplest uh, that I like to think about it is this. Sin, we could say, is anything in character, nature, or deed that does not look like God. Sin is anything in character, nature, or deed that does not look like God. So we, we are sinners by character, we are sinners by nature and by deed. Our personality would have a bend toward ourselves, not our creator. Our, our nature inside, we would have a bend to be our own God. And the things we do are very often our anti-God and his holiness and his goodness. And for those things, the Bible says we are deserving of death. And yet, our God pursues us to the point of salvation. You know, um, my wife and I, we have five kids, 
four boys, uh, a girl who's now 11, and they range from uh, 20 to, to 11. And so we have lived in a couple different houses where we've either had a wood stove uh, or where we're currently at now, we have a wood insert. And I remember the moment where, you know, you're, you're a father and you're making the fire and you're just proud like I got heat. And then you realize, oh, I've got this young little toddler running around. And the last thing I want them to do is go up and put their hands on a hot fireplace, right? And so you rearrange the house, you do all sorts of things. But what do you do when you, from the, the distance of the room, you're on the other side and you see that, that, that young boy, that young girl headed toward the fire, you run and you grab them up and you, you save them from putting their hands in the fire, right? This is, this is just an earthly picture, but this is the way that, 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 that our God looks at us. And, and you don't pick that child up and begin to scream and yell at them and, and why were you interested in fire? And why, you know, and begin to shame them for, no, your only concern at that moment is, is to make sure that they cannot bring, to their, uh, bring their hands to, to something that would potentially cause death. And so much more is our Father for you and I. He runs after us even when we're running toward the fire and we really have no comprehension of what our sin has done to separate us from him. He pursues us as Savior. So Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. And then if we, if we, we don't have time to unpack all this this morning, but if we look at, at the, the narrative of Scripture, we'll also see this word in reference to Jesus as Jesus is Messiah. This is another doctrine that we would believe. Messiah simply means he is the, the anointed one or the Christ. He was set apart and marked with a purpose. He was, he was born to die. And what's interesting about this word Messiah is often we see this in reference to the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, that there is scripture after scripture that happened hundreds to even a thousand years before Jesus came to, to be born to die on this earth that told his coming. We would say that these are prophets So scripture prophesied years, hundreds of years before Jesus actually came that there would come a point in time that he would come. And there are actually more than 300 prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus was born as a baby and and, and as the lifespan that he was born to die in our place. Uh, We don't have time to go through all those, but just a couple to kind of give some context. Jesus was God's plan for rescue. And this, this was a plan that was planned before time that occurred in history and carries eternal significance. And as we look at these prophecies, uh, Jesus was the one to be born of a virgin woman from Bethlehem that was spoke about in Genesis 3 and in Micah 5 and Isaiah 7. He was the one that would come from the line of Abraham, be a descendant of Isaac and Jacob, spoken about in Genesis chapter 12 and 22 and 17. Jesus was the one who would be mocked and ridiculed, spoken about in Psalm. And, and this was one of the prophecies, was actually a thousand years before Jesus would, would come upon this earth. Jesus is the one that would be forsaken by God in our place and yet still pray for his enemies. And we see that in, in Psalm and Isaiah 53. Jesus is the one that would be bruised but not broken that his hands and his feet would be pierced, as spoken of in Exodus and Zechariah. Jesus is our Savior and Messiah, and he is the one who would rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, be seated at the right hand of God, spoken of in Psalms. He is also the one spoken of in Daniel who will return again one day to make all things new. Who is God? God is Jesus. Jesus is both Savior and Messiah. You know, have you ever wondered why you and I often love a good hero story? 
You know, if you, you don't believe that our society just loves heroes, listen to this information. Uh, you know, I, I thought about the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is actually 31 movies to date. Every one of those movies represent a story of a hero that typically has come to save the day. Uh, it is a hero story. And the, just to show you that we love these kinds of movies, all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe combined has generated a mind-blowing $27 billion at the worldwide box office. We love the story of the hero who's come to save the day because it's actually in, in our hearts. It's in our nature because the greatest story ever told is the story of a hero, Jesus, who has come to save us. And I just find it interesting that we often, we often just love and latch on to this idea, but the greatest story is Jesus. He's, be, he's become the hero in God's narrative and you and I have been made part of that greatest story. And guess what? This story is true. So, who is God? From this text alone, we see a depth of things. And we could say, uh, just from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, that God, he is Jesus, and Jesus is God. He is good, he is loving, he is kind. He is the only one who can save. He is the anointed one, he is the Christ. He was set apart to be the sacrifice for our sin. He is the one who runs after you and I. He is righteousness. He is mercy. He washes clean. He makes new. He pours out his spirit. He is more than enough. He is the resurrected savior. He is the hero in the greatest story ever told. He is Messiah and savior. He is Jesus. And by his spirit, he is here right now to fill you and I. If this is true, then who am I? First, there's a prerequisite here. And remember, we said how we, how we answer our first question, who is God, determines how you and I could answer our second question. You know, there, there's a reality as I was processing this. We, we could look at all of creation and we could deduce that the complexity of the human body and even all of nature dictates that there must be a creator, and that's true. We believe that creator is God the God of the Bible. We could say, uh, look at the archaeological evidence and so many things that would actually confirm the stories of Scripture and confirm dates and times and places that actually exist that we can, we can uncover. And, and many of those would be absolutely true as well. You could read the Bible, simply take it at face value, live through faith, and you would be believing absolutely 100% the truth. And that's, that's absolutely correct. All of these things are true and so much more that we could say, I, I believe that God exists if I look at that evidence. But for me, there's an even deeper reason underneath that. Some of you may know my story. The short version is this, that, that I was an angry, rageful person in my younger years. And I remember going through a season where I began to consistently hurt the people I love the most. I was on my way to being an abuser. I was on my way to just simply responding in the moment and, and letting the details work themselves out. I was on my way probably to, to prison like the rest of the Maxi clan, typically not, not my boys, thank the Lord that the God has reset the bloodline, right? But before that, there was a difference in, in my heart and just the things that I ran after. But I can tell you this, I'm not that person today. Why? Was it because of my own discipline? Was it because of, of the things that I just decided to do better? Absolutely not. Jesus changed my life. Jesus is my Savior, my Messiah, come to make me new. 
I'm a new person today because he has made me new from the inside out. And so even though all these things are true, we have a choice. We have a choice to believe. We have a choice to not believe. So the caveat today is that in, in the prerequisite is that the choice is yours here today. But here's what scripture says of, of the choice. And this is not on the screen. I'll, I'll read this to you. This is Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, for everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. The choice is yours here this morning, empowered by the Holy Spirit to turn away from, from your own lordship of your life, your, your own sin, your own shattering of the desire to God's, God's image in your life, to turn toward him and to repent of that, to call upon him for the salvation, for the Messiah sent for you and I, Jesus. And I believe that's true. And so since that is true, then I have to ask the question, who am I? That is true for you here this morning. The, the description that we have just been given of God, since that is true, then who does that make you? And look back at verse five in Titus. And we can see that he has saved us by his own mercy. I am one who has been given what I do not deserve. You have been given what you do not deserve. We deserve death by all rights, by all righteousness. Sometimes we think, well, God, you know, God's, he's, a, he's a nice guy, right? He should just forgive. And yet we, we take one, one part of God's character and want to pin it against another. We, we, because God is loving, he would just let it go. But God is also just, and God cannot let the things that would, would be in rebellion against him because he's just and wholly free. And so God doesn't just ignore sin. The reason Jesus came was to make the payment for that sin so that you and I could put our faith and our trust in that payment for that sin. You can place your trust in the completed work as Savior and Messiah for you. And the Bible tells us that Jesus gives you his right standing, his righteousness. He extends that belief and faith. And if that is true, then who am I? He doesn't just do it a little bit, as we see in the, the part of verse six right here as we look in. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And here's, here's the part that would literally take an eternity for you and I to wrap our heads around. We aren't just given mercy and grace. We are also adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. We're given an inheritance, as this text says, of eternal life. He didn't just take a semi-good person 
clean you up a little bit and invite you to come stay with him for a while. He took a person who is literally rebelling, who would desire to, to hate God, who would, who would destroy God if we had the authority, and he raised us up. He, he showed us his goodness so much so that, that he caused the circumstances of this world by which we would desire him most of all things. And in our repentance, in our surrender, he begins to transform us, make us new, and invites us into his family as a son or daughter with the same inheritance that Jesus bought for us. Who am I? You have to decide what you believe here this morning. But if God is who we just said he is, then therefore I am. Because he is kind, I have a new heart of kindness. Because he is merciful, I have a new heart that can overflow with mercy. Because he is joy, I am joyful. Because he is life, I am a life bringer. Because my God, my Savior, my Messiah, because he gives me hope, I am a hope maker. I am forgiven, I am made new, I'm his son, you can be his son, his daughter. I'm filled with his spirit. I'm growing each day to look more and more and more like my father. I'm saved by grace. I am set free from sin. I am a new person. The old is gone and I'm not the same anymore. You know, I've often wondered another question. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God do such a thing? I'm, I'm, I'm convinced there's probably many answers to this question, but I want to give you one found in Galatians chapter 5. And here's what it says. Why would Jesus set us free? Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Right, let, the, let the weight of this hit you for a minute. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Not for Doing the right things and being a better, cleaner version of yourself, Christ has set you free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Not, not for so, so that you can make sure that you never yell and scream at your kids again. Uh, Jesus set you free so that you can never make sure that, that you always have a good relationship with people around you, that you're the best worker, that you're the best version of you. What does it say? For freedom, Christ has set us free. And then there's a couple statements that, that I've, I've consistently processed. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. There's an invitation that I see here. For freedom, Christ is our Savior, our Messiah, so that we could be free, so that we could live free. But there's a choice that must be made to stand firm and don't submit. Don't, don't yield my will, my emotions, my desire, my body again to the yoke of slavery. You know, so as I was, I was preparing and, and kind of putting the pieces of this together, and as we even read the statement, uh, you know, some of you, this might be, this, this is new and this is fresh, and I love that. For, for some of you, if you're like me, I'm, I'm 46 years old. I don't have a memory, BC memory, before Christ. I literally, I remember always being in the church and I can remember being a young boy uh, and just watching uh, the things of God and trying to, trying to sort these things out. And I, I just don't have a, a long history of not knowing who Jesus was and not, not trying to surrender my life despite the, the double-stacked skeletons the Maxis had in our closet. But of all the things I would say, okay, church, this is the information probably what I've just said is not new to most of you. 
You might be thinking, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. That's good. It's a good reminder today. That's great. My question is this. What do we do with it? What do we do with this truth? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 is a statement of truth. It's another statement that you might have heard many times. It says this, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then we're going to look at verse 12, Galatians. Sorry, I'm looking at Ephesians here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember, we just talked about this stand firm, therefore, do not submit again. There's this wrestling that happens. And that wrestling that happens, Scripture says here in Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's one thing to know truth. It's another thing to believe and live truth. Scripture tells us right here that that of the ways that we stand firm, there's a recognition that must happen in verse 11 in Ephesians. It's saying, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is real. He is a created being by our God. Scripture tells us greater is he, the Holy Spirit, in us Uh, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. There is not this yin-yang equal force between good and light, absolutely not. Uh, Darkness was uh, something that just chose to not be God, not surrender to God. The enemy is powerless to God's power. And yet in this place, there's an active participation that you and I are called to be. Put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the schemes of the devil. And here's the other thing. The devil has a very specific scheme, or we could say tactic, to take you out and to take me out. So we're going we're gonna to close our time here. I'm going to give you two, two truths in just a minute. And I want to unpack underneath those truths. I want to give you two tactics that we can walk away with, and we'll, we'll unpack that. But first, it's important to understand that the enemy, the enemy has a very specific tactic to take your focus, your attention, your identity, to distract you from living free, from being free. You know, for me, I, I'm the type of personality, uh, you know, you take all the personality tests, when, whether we disagree on what's good and what's not. Most of the time when I test, one of the things that many of the tests will say is, uh, is one of the worst things that you could say to my personality is you are incompetent or you can't do something. Uh, you know, my mom knew this all the time when I was a kid when she would be like, I bet you can't move that couch to the other side of the room. What? I'll do it. And, you know, she needed the couch moved or I bet you can't clean them table, you know, the table up right now. Oh, I bet you I can, right? Reverse psychology. I find for me, the enemy will often come against me uh, in the battle of my mind and, and begin to remind me of things where I will, I will read things as, as someone attacking my competence. I will, I will begin to just kind of get stuck in places where instead of, instead of locking into what my father says about me, I'll begin to believe lies that are just not even true. In fact, I got up this morning and I got an email from a friend uh, who was just giving me a little bit of direction on a project that I'm working on. And I immediately read that email at six o'clock this morning and thought, 
Are you kidding me? Like that, that is good stuff. What, what do you mean I should change, change that? And, I, and then my next thought was, Dave, you're about ready to preach this in like two hours, dude. Like you like settle down here. And I literally had to just like David says, oh, praise oh my soul. I had to begin to talk to myself and remind myself, okay, this person has my best interests in mind. They are intending to help and give me direction. And I had to remind myself that that fear, that shame, that guilt that was kind of coming over me, that defensiveness, that that wasn't from my father. The enemy has a very specific tactic for me that he would love to take me out. And I would say the same is true of you because these are the schemes of the devil. The worst thing I could do is pretend that it doesn't exist, that I'm not even in a battle whatsoever. I think the same is true for you. I don't know what your, the voices that, that are speaking into your life and in your world, I don't know the struggles that you have, but I can tell you this, if it's causing fear, shame, and guilt, it's not from your father. In December uh, last year, I was praying and, and just began to, to sense God's nudge as I began to look in 2023. And, and often I've done this where I've just said, hey, uh, you know, Lord, is there, a, is there a focus I need for this coming year? What would you lead me into? And I felt like God was kind of nudging me and pulling me into this word active. And for me, I feel like there was a, uh, a physical component of that. Uh, most of you are like, oh, you're so skinny, eat a sandwich. Well, I, you know, I've got, I've got fat that kind of contends right here. And so I would look in the mirror and realize I'm always two months pregnant. I wanted to do something about that, right? Uh, my wife could, could testify, right? Uh, and so there was, a, there was a physical component of it. There was just some health goals that I, I felt the Lord calling me into. Uh, and then there's a spiritual component. There's an active spiritual component. I recognize there's some, some habits that I was just being passive in that God was calling me to lead actively in. Uh, and so on the physical side of things, I began to, to not just like, I, I need a new diet. And I, I have tried everything under the sun. If you know me, you know that I'm also not a sports fanatic. I am not the dude who's going to run 10 miles unless someone's chasing me. Like, I'm just, that's just not my thing. And so I knew that um, I wasn't going to be able to just ride some new exciting momentum. I had to actually reset habits. Uh, I invited some of my staff team at Trinity to begin to kind of plan their own habits and, and kind of create a, a helpful community for me along with others outside of the staff of, of just, hey, this is what I'm going after. Uh, I started going to the gym six days a week and, and I began to realize that the, the goals that I wanted to hit aside from drinking water, uh, I, I more or less needed to eat the, the right amount of calories, meaning I needed to eat the right food, but I needed to eat less calories than what I'm burning. Uh, I needed to then add appropriate tension to my muscles, right? We call that exercise. Uh, and then I needed to get rest and basically rinse and repeat. Uh, that's all the th things that I need to happen. So my, my plan in January when I started going to the gym, it wasn't too long where I realized there's actually two kinds of people uh, that spend time in the gym. Uh, and uh, one kind, I will say, are pretenders, and the next kind, I would say, are planners. Uh, and I, I was trying to move to the point of being a planner, but let me give you an example of a pretender. Uh, there are three uh, college gentlemen, I, I don't even know them by name, so I'm not trying to oust anyone, but I have watched them come uh, to the gym the same time that I've been there. They usually come together. I've not seen them spend more than, um, you know, maybe six to ten minutes total. They usually come in, they go right to kind of the weight bar, and they, they 
they attempt to do pull-ups. Usually one of the three can do one or two and they high five, oh, you do good, are you healthy now? And, like, and, uh, and usually they realize they can't quite do it. So they'll, they'll take the little rubber band straps and they'll tie one to the top and then underneath their feet and they'll use the strap to create momentum. Uh, and then they'll do a few that way. And then 10 minutes later, they're perfectly healthy and they're out the door. That is a pretender when it comes to physical activity, right? Uh, their belief is, I just need to get close to the gym. Uh, I just need to do a few things, and then I'm good to go, right? On the flip side, I have seen uh, what I would say a, a, a physical planner. There's one gentleman that I, I've yet to meet him by name. He's very serious when he gets there. Uh, I've seen him there for about the last three months, and I've witnessed him lose probably close to 80 pounds, and I've seen him go through a very regimented plan. He comes, he's got, he's got drinks kind of with him. I've heard him talk to other people about some of the diet that he's changing. And he is just exercising. He's working a very, very specific plan. He's very intentional. Uh, and, and we've got kind of eye contact where you got it, bro. Like we look at one another, right? Because um, we're both kind of working our plans at different places. And I've realized that there's, there's kind of a spiritual parallel to this. The, the spiritual parallel is there's, there's spiritual pretending, spiritual pretenders, spiritual planners. See, I've, I've been guilty of being a spiritual pretender. Spiritual pretender, I just need to be around church once a week. Like, I, you know, I hear a few songs like, amen, pastor, like, good job, you know, Christian Rock, like, leading us well, right? I just need a few things that will create a little bit of spiritual momentum, and then I am good to go, and I'll, I'll ride that, and I'm sure it's going to run right on down until Saturday night, and I'll come back, and I'll get me some more, some more spiritual motivation on Sunday, and, I, and that's the rhythm I'll ride. It's a pretend tactic against a real enemy. And here's the thing, you cannot use pretend tactics to fight in a real battle. But a spiritual planner is one who is deliberate and who's intentional and who recognizes that my enemy is intentional and therefore even more so, I need to be intentional with my plan to grow. I need to be intentional at locking into the things that, that my father would have for me. So, uh, you know, about four years ago, here's what this began to look like for me. I started realizing, and this is carried out to my more recent plan, that when I'm struggling spiritually, that, that there's kind of a handful, the enemy is not creative, but there's just a handful of lies that I would often be wrestling with and believing I would, uh, you know, in that competent space, I would, I would find myself having thoughts, and I'm just going to be super transparent this morning. I would, I would think things like, wow, you know, maybe my wife should marry someone else that can provide better for her, because I'm, I'm not. Like, I, I would have thoughts like, you know, there, there's, there's other people out there, like, and name people by it, like, they're leading their, their family a whole lot better. I'm, I'm just, I can't, I'm, I'm failing at that. I, you know, someone else should probably take my place in that. And I began to recognize that, you know what, these are lies of the enemy, and I began noting what those lies were because I found myself kind of getting stuck in this cycle of just, of just wrestling after one lie after another, and, and I, was, I was invited to go to a retreat that was super impactful to me a handful of years ago that, that began to, to help me do something, and, and here's a tactic in this space to move from, from spiritual pretending to spiritual planning, and I'll just give you one in this space today. I began to, to make a list of the lies that I would believe of the enemy. And then I begin to say, God, what is the truth to that lie? 
And then I began to jot down the truth. And this, this is something that, that took months. I began to kind of seal some of this in at, at a retreat, and, and God began to formulate a statement for me. And, uh, and some people would say, well, that, isn't that like self-help? Like, is this Stuart Smalley? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. This is not that. 